Welcome to Neary's PolicyCast, episode 41 for April 16, 2018. I'm Scott Rogers, online editor at the Washington Institute. On April 13, the United States, Britain, and France launched a coordinated series of airstrikes intended to degrade the Syrian regime's chemical weapons program and dissuade Bashar al-Assad from launching further chemical attacks like the April 9 gassing of Douma. In military terms, were the strikes successful? And what, if anything, did they accomplish? Deterrence is a wasting asset and has a limited shelf life. And again, they're going to try to test our limits and see if they could use chemical weapons again uh, down the road. And if, you know, if we want to stop them from doing so, we're going to have to strike again. That was Michael Eisenstadt, a veteran defense analyst and senior fellow at the Washington Institute. We'll get his insights into the serious strikes, how they may change the Syrian battlefield, and potential next steps for American strategy after this. This is Lori Plotkin Bogart, K Family Fellow at the Washington Institute for Near East Policy. The Washington Institute is dedicated to advancing a balanced and realistic understanding of American interests in the Middle East and promoting the policies to secure them. Find all of our research and analysis at WashingtonInstitute.org or follow us on Twitter at Wash Institute. I'm speaking today with Michael Eisenstadt, Con Fellow and Director of the Washington Institute's Military and Security Studies Program. Mike served for 26 years as an officer in the U.S. Army Reserves and has published widely on irregular and conventional warfare, U.S. air power, and proliferation issues in the Middle East. He joins us today to share his insights into Friday's multinational punitive strikes against the Syrian regime's chemical weapons infrastructure. Let's note for the record that we're recording this conversation on Sunday night, April 15. Mike, welcome to Near East PolicyCast. Good to be here. From a military point of view, how should Americans understand Friday night's strikes on Syria? Well, when discussing military matters, uh, the first order question you have to ask is to what end? And that automatically raises issues of policy and strategy. So I would respond to that question in a twofold manner. First, the first part is that the president, uh, after the chemical attack on the town of Duma, right near Damascus, a number of days ago, responded in a way that uh, said that America would respond to this. And so he had, after making that statement, after tweeting that statement, he had to follow through in order to um, not undermine his own credibility. So that was the first issue. And and this kind of harkens back to the dilemma that uh, President Obama faced when setting down his own chemical weapons red line in 2012, and then when he didn't strike in 2013, um, and, and maybe for good reasons at the time, but it had a, a dramatic impact on America's standing and, and the dynamic of this relationship with the Russians in Europe, with the Chinese in Asia and North Korea. And we saw after the failures to strike then that all of these parties became more assertive vis-a-vis the United States. So in order to prevent that from happening and also to deter further chemical weapons use, I think there was uh, very you know heavy pressure to strike. Plus, the Syrians have been using chemical weapons throughout this civil war. And I think there was also a fear that the norm against using chemical weapons was being eroded. So in order to reestablish the norm, there had to be a strike in order to prevent Syria from doing uh, using chemical weapons again. That's the first part. Uh, the second part has to do with how does this fit in in, in, in the broader picture of American strategy towards Syria? And this is where we are really um, kind of uh, the, the connection between the strike and, and our broader policy towards Syria is not clear. Because basically there's a lot of confusion with regard to our policy towards Syria. 
Um, recently, former Secretary of State Tillerson gave a speech where he set out a number of principles for American policy towards Syria. And he basically said that in Syria, our goal is to defeat the Islamic State, consolidate our military gains against the Islamic State through stabilization assistance and de-escalation agreements, and to reach a negotiated solution to Syria's civil war, while avoiding a clash with uh, pro-regime pro forces there. Now, a strike against Syria's chemical weapons infrastructure doesn't really address any of these. It doesn't really do anything with regard to our efforts to defeat Islamic State, doesn't help us with our efforts to consolidate the military gains and to stabilize the country, and it doesn't really help us to reach a negotiated solution to the Syria civil war. And basically, we're really not doing anything to advance this objective. So in terms of where this fits in, in terms of our broader policy, it's really not clear. And if you dig even deeper and you ask yourself, okay, maybe this will help um, reduce the level of violence in Syria and the like. Again, when you dig deeper, you see that chemical weapons have accounted for maybe 1% of the civilian losses uh, in this conflict, maybe uh, between 1,000 and 2,000 people. And this is where over 100,000 civilians have been killed, probably even much more um, have been killed in this conflict through conventional weapons, through barrel bombs, through artillery, through small arms. So a strike on the chemical weapons production facilities and um, storage facilities and R&D facilities don't really do anything to degrade Assad's ability to prosecute the civil war. So there's a question as to how this fits into the broader American strategy, um, which I think there is there. It's it, the answer is it doesn't really. So is this just a case then of Washington telling Assad and his Russian and Iranian allies that we're fine with them crushing the Syrian opposition as long as they don't use banned chemical weapons? Well, I, I don't think that was, you know, that was not the intended message, but I suspect that might be the conclusion they um, arrive at. Well, first of all, let me just say, they've been using chlorine, which is, you know, was used originally during World War I um, as a chemical weapon and is much less lethal than sarin, which was used in, apparently used, the, the, the evidence is still not clear, but apparently it may have been used in the, in the most recent attack that this most recent strike is responding to and was used in the strike a year ago, was used in the event a year ago that led to the American strike against uh, Sherat Air Base in April of uh, 2017. So um, the thing is, you know, were striking against the in response to the use of the chemical agent, which is really um, the agent they've used the least um, in, 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 in recent uh, combat operations. So there, that raises a question is, you know, is there essentially a green light to use ca uh, chlorine in addition to, to conventional weapons? I mean, I, I think that is, there's a danger there. That's the inadvertent message that's being sent by this strike, that um, we're not going to do anything to deal with the actual weapons of mass destruction, which are barrel, barrel bombs and artillery and small arms, but will respond to, to the use of sarin, even though sarin really has not been a game changer for the regime. The game changer has been conventional weapons. In terms of conventional weapons, both Russia and the Syrian regime had threatened to intercept and destroy missiles and aircraft should a strike on Syria be ordered. In the event, it appears that no U.S. or Allied munitions were intercepted, nor were any of our aircraft harmed. Is the absence of a successful uh, air defense or even an attempt at air defense significant? 
I mean, it, it's pretty interesting because I think there was great concern, which I shared, that any kind of strike could lead to an escalatory process and a broader conflict. And clearly, the limited nature of the conflict was intended to limit that eventuality or that possibility. Also, the weapons that were used were all long-range cruise missiles launched either from ships or from aircraft from great distance. Um, um, yeah, I, I think it's quite likely. So the aircraft were probably um, operating at the at the fringes of the air defenses, of the air defense envelope. Um, and the air defenses are older systems. And you know, according to the Pentagon briefings, most of the air you know, surface-to-air missiles were launched unguided. Um, in other words, they didn't turn on their radar so that they wouldn't be vulnerable. And they were launched after the strikes were, were conducted. Hmm. So it was not really a well, you know, prosecuted uh, air defense effort. The, the Russians, as far as we know, did not, according to the DOD reports, um, did not fire surface-to-air missiles. So they, they were, you know, they were, uh, you know, they, they did not, um, in, you know, involve themselves in this operation, which is also, I think, interesting because um, there were some statements by some Russian diplomats prior to the strike that, as you said, that they would, you know, intervene, and they did not. Which maybe raises the question: Did we have more latitude to act, perhaps more vigorously than we could than we did actually, and could we have accomplished more? Did we have more latitude to accomplish more than we actually accomplished? Um, and so this may have been, a, in a way, a missed opportunity because, in the end, deterrence has a shelf life. After you strike, eventually, um, we have uh, our attention is is. Split is, is spread not just in Syria, but throughout the Middle East. And then we have problems in Asia and elsewhere. And that gives the regime a lot of latitude to test our limits. And we don't want to be involved in strikes all the time, even though our, our you know, diplomats and, and officials have said that we're locked and loaded. We're going to strike again if they if they do this again. After the last strike a year ago, there was a, a period of, of in which they didn't use chemical weapons and they incrementally kind of ramped up their use of chlorine and then eventually perhaps use of sarin again. So I think we could see you, we should expect a period in which of, of, of perhaps quiet and then testing and eventually trying to, you know, the Syrian regime trying to reassert itself in the use of chemical weapons down the road. But um, in the end, um, you know, my worry is that because the strike was so limited, it might embolden the regime, it might embolden the Iranians and the Russians to push harder in the future. Maybe the Russians seeing how careful we were will put more equipment and more air defense equipment in Syria so that next time that we contemplate an airstrike, it'll be under a much more adverse um, air defense environment and we'll be even less willing to take risks. So I, I'm not sure. I think in the end, there might be some short term benefits to this strike in a very limited kind of circumscribed way in terms of, you know, um, getting them to stop chemical attacks. But they'll, they'll eventually resume it, I'm almost sure. And in the end, I'm worried that there's a chance that our adversaries will see kind of the reserve in our in our interactions and the restraint as a sign of um, you know weakness, and um, they they might overreach as a result. So I, we don't know how this is going to play out, and uh, that's one of the perhaps unintended consequences of this strike and the way it was conducted. That gives me reason for pause. Is is your is your pause primarily motivated by the limited nature of the strikes or by the more circumscribed nature of the red line being defined? So is it is it is it a bigger worry for you that we've perhaps drawn a line around sarin and said everything else is okay, go ahead, 
or that we've said, this is a red line, you've crossed it, and our punishment has actually been pretty light? Yeah, I think all of the above. Now, let me just say, I was, I shared the concerns of those who were um, worried about the possibility of escalation, especially with the Russians. Um, I don't think any of us, you know, anybody should have, should welcome the possibility of a, of a conflict with the, with the Russians. And this is something that we have to be very careful to avoid. On the other hand, I think there's this kind of paradox that sometimes if you are too restrained and too careful, you create uh, a set of expectations on the part of your adversaries that they could get away with more than actually you're willing to allow them. And you, you actually create the potential for miscalculation down the road. So my, you know, my, I had advocated before the strike of not just hitting chemical weapons re- related facilities. And, b- and by the way, if you read carefully the Pentagon briefings, again, we didn't hit all the, the facilities that they were to hit. We just hit the facilities in which we had a high degree of confidence there would be no civilian uh, casualties or no adverse effects to the civilian population nearby. There probably were other sites that maybe were more important sites in terms of Syria's ability to wage chemical warfare that we probably didn't strike because of fears of collateral damage. So that's that's one issue. The other issue was, you know, we didn't hit any of the delivery means. That may have been because the Syrians may have dispersed the aircraft and there were reports that they moved their aircraft to some of the, the Russian air bases under the uh, presumption, which in retrospect looks correct, that we wouldn't strike those air bases if there were Russian aircraft in the same location. So that probably limited our options um, as well. But we also didn't hit some of the ground units, which would be used and have been used in the past to exploit the aftermath of chemical strikes to seize land, seize, seize terrain. So you have the 4th Armored Division, the Republican Guard, and the Tiger Force, and these are the units that the regime depends upon mainly for, to wage their campaign against the opposition, against the rebels. And these units are, tend to be commanded by Alawites, uh, and, and many of them are, are related by either tribal connections or marriage to senior members of the regime. And had we hit headquarters for those units, we're not going to wage, we were not going to wage a protracted air campaign against these units um, engaging in what we call tank plinking you know, bombing individual tanks and the like, because we, we, you know, we didn't want to, we wanted to limit our exposure over Syria and that may have, you know, and, and, and our exposure to Russian air defenses. And that might also have been the kind of action that would eventually prompt uh, a Russian response. But we could have hit their headquarters, perhaps, um, and, and, you know, perhaps killed some of their key commanders. Although again, after the president's statement earlier last week, they may have gone into defensive dispersion and therefore they were no longer viable targets. Okay, can I take a step back? I, I'd just like to sure. clarify what you're describing there. It's it's not just that the Assad regime is using chemical weapons, uh, chlorine and possibly also sarin, to terrorize and kill civilians. The air delivery of those munitions is step one in a multi-step process. And the next step is the ground troops come in and take sure. the territory. Yeah, exactly. So, so the thing is, had we taken steps to not only degrade their chemical weapons or chemical warfare capability, but their ability to exploit the use of chemical weapons. Although, again, like I said, the chemical weapons are, have not been a game changer for them. It's, it's mainly been the aerial bombardment capability provided by the Syrian and Russian air forces and also artillery bombardment capability. Had we, you know, had we hit the units that they rely on to seize and hold terrain, 
that would have also degraded the general war effort. And I think that would have been beneficial in terms of deterring Syria by imposing costs that have a serious effect on their war effort. You'll get, a, 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 I think, a more sustained deterrence effect with regard to chemical weapons, as well as a whole range of other behaviors that are problematic in terms of um, you know, their, uh, the, the killing of civilians, creating refugees, um, and also just the, the confidence of the regime and their willingness to test our resolve and perhaps um, take steps to enable the Iranians and Hezbollah to uh, take actions against Israel. And, you know, that, that's, other, that's also something else that's in the background here. We are seeing a, a situation as the civil war winds down, we're seeing kind of the wars after the war come to the fore. So we're seeing fighting between the Turks and the Kurds. And we're also seeing an escalation in the interactions between Israel and Hezbollah and Iran. Israel's been waging a intermittent campaign against Hezbollah for several years now, conducting over 100 airstrikes against Hezbollah, uh, convoys of weapons that were destined for Hezbollah in Lebanon. The Israelis have recently extend, expanded this air campaign to include Iranian infrastructure that they're creating in Syria as part of their long-term efforts to create a, a military presence there. So we're, we see it looming against the background, the possibility of additional wars uh, coming out of the Syrian war, in addition to all the terrible effects that the Syrian war has had for the Syrian people and, and as, for, as well as for the neighboring states. So anything we could do to deter the Syrians, reduce their freedom of action and reduce the freedom of action of Hezbollah and Iran and make them more careful in how they act, I think is desirable. And again, I think the strike might have the opposite effect than intended in this regard because it was so limited. Well, it's important to remember that we are speaking 48 hours almost exactly after the strikes began. The president announcing the strikes said that uh, we would be ready if necessary to sustain operations. And UN Ambassador Haley has uh, said that we are, uh, quote, locked and loaded uh, to continue action if need be. And also in just the last few hours, uh, French President Macron has spoken about a longer term and more sustained allied effort in Syria. So all of that said, what next steps would you like to see from the administration following Friday strikes? Well, let me just say what I, I think, you know, where the administration may be heading and then, you know, what I would, you know, kind of recommend. You know, I, I'm not sure this really changes American strategy all that much. You know, if, if Macron is arguing for a uh, more assertive role on the part of the three nation coalition that participated in these strikes, you know, it, it's not clear to me whether um, he will have a willing partner in, in you know, uh, President Trump. On the one hand, you know, as you as you mentioned, UN uh, Ambassador uh, Haley has said, you know, we're locked and loaded to con you know to conduct additional strikes. Now that will depend on whether the Syrians give us, you know, a, a reason to do so, and they may not use sarin or you know chemical weapons in large amounts um, in the near term in order just to in order to avert such a possibility. Um, and the president has said that we're going to be getting out of Syria very soon. Maybe not if, if not in, immediately, maybe in the coming months. So the general tr trend lines in U.S. Syria policy seem to be by and large towards withdrawal. While you have this, you know, again, commitment to police, at least the chemical weapons red line. So I, I'm not I don't see any any major change in U.S. policy as a result of this strike. And I'm not sure our allies will be able to prevail on us in this, in this regard. In terms of what we should be doing, again, you know, my concern is that 
Um, A, there are still parts of Syria where the opposition, the rebels, still hold ground. And for humanitarian reasons and for reasons of our national interest, I don't believe it's in our interest to let um, the regime take these areas, whether it be Dara in the south or um, Idlib in the north. And let me just say Idlib is, is, is mainly extremist groups that are not our partners, but neither do we have an interest in the Syrians assaulting that area and creating mass waves of refugees going to Turkey and then to Europe, because among these refugees will be members from extremist groups who are in that area, you know, Al-Qaeda-associated groups and the like. So it's in our interest to keep the regime tied down where they are now and prevent them from consummating their victory by taking the areas that they have not yet taken. But I see no indication that we're doing that. Um, And it's also important to keep them tied down to prevent them from perhaps taking steps that could lead to uh, a war between Israel and Iran and uh, Hezbollah. And I think it's certainly in our interest that we do things within you know, reasonable bounds to prevent a major regional conflict from emerging. It, it's always been our interest and it's, and it's always been our policy to do things to diffuse you know, potential major conflicts. I'm afraid that the trajectory we're, we're on will actually pave the way for a major war rather than preventing it. Are there any specific steps, one or two, uh, that you would like to see in the coming week or two weeks that you think would actually start to accomplish the outcome you would like to see? Yeah, Um, you know, it may be too late, but arming members of the opposition, you know, this is a program that we had for several years. We pretty much pulled the plug on this recently, Um, but I, I still think there's benefit in providing arms to members of the opposition in order to ensure that the de-escalation zones and the areres where we've been able to achieve a ceasefire remain quiet. Um, and again, that might be it may be too late to accomplish that, but I think it would be very uh, it'd be highly desirable uh, to to try to do that at this point. I'm not sure our allies would support that effort at this point because of course, um, any kind of arms going into Syria would have to have their approval. Whether it be this, uh, the Jordanians or the, or the, or the Turks. And in, in the area in Turkey where it would happen is, again, I don't see us arming those groups because most of them are extremists in, 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 in Idlib. So it's mainly, it would be mainly in the south. Um, but I, I think that's something that we should be doing. Let me just say, we, we find ourselves in a position where we have to act on our own um, at a time when I think it would have been much better to be able to act through proxies. It would be high, it's highly difficult desirable for the United States to stay out of the mess in Syria to the degree that it can. Um, and not having uh, proxies on the ground to keep pressure on the regime would have been highly desirable. And, and again, this is maybe something that we should review and revisit and look at uh, the possibility of, of seeing if we could you know, restart this effort again. Because as the regime and pro-regime forces return to parts of Syria that have been retaken from the rebels, it's quite possible That will see a renewal of opposition to the regime. Hmm. And if we don't in some ways work with the opposition in these areas, they will probably gravitate towards extremism again. And, and, and instead of being aligned with uh, us, um, they will be aligned with uh, groups like Al-Qaeda and ISIS again. And we'll see a, a re- rebirth of, of such groups in Syria. So again, I, I, I It's quite possible that this effort will fail, but I think we should revisit this possibility. 
in order to have a proxy option so we don't have to become directly involved in Syria, but we could arm proxies to keep pressure on the Assad regime. So in terms of bottom lines, what, if anything, was accomplished by Friday's strikes? For one, we we did, you know, destroy um, one of their R&D centers for research and development centers for chemical weapons. We probably destroyed some precursor agents that were used for the production of chemical weapons. And we, we also may have destroyed some chemical munitions. But by the way that our, the briefers in the Defense Department briefing talked about it, I think it's also possible that there were um, stockpiles of munitions that were not hit because it would have been too dangerous for civilians. So so we probably have not destroyed their capability. There's probably some residual capability that they retain. They'll probably um, be more careful about they, they, there might be a period in which they don't use chemical weapons for a while in order to avoid follow-on strikes by the United States. So we might be buying some time. But keep in mind, as I mentioned before, deterrence is a wasting asset and has a limited shelf life. And again, they're going to try to test our limits and see if they could use chemical weapons again uh, down the road. And if, you know, if we want to stop them from doing so, we're going to have to strike again. We don't know if the conditions at that time will be as permissive as they were now in terms of the air defense environment and like, uh, it's possible that the, between now and then the Russians will introduce new weapon systems that will make things even more uncomfortable for us to operate near Syria. And also, I'm just concerned that the limited nature of the strike might actually embolden our enemies instead of deterring them, that they were expecting a much larger strike and what they got was a very small and focused and limited one. And that may actually cause them, embolden them um, in the future and I do worry that there is a potential for miscalculation um, that they'll overreach and we might find ourselves inadvertently in a conflict that could have been otherwise avoided had we perhaps added, acted more vigorously this time. Well, sobering thoughts. Thank you for taking the time to uh, share with us. I've been speaking today with Michael Eisenstadt, Con Fellow and Director of the Washington Institute's Military and Security Studies Program. Mike, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. This has been Near East PolicyCast from the Washington Institute. For more research and analysis on the Middle East, find us online at WashingtonInstitute.org. Follow us on Twitter at Wash Institute and subscribe to us on YouTube at Washington Institute for events and video explainers. Thank you.